Hey, folks, I'm Tom. I'm KJ. You know the drill. We're back here once again to remind you about the benefits of the Dunlap Champions Club. If you haven't sampled it still, well, find one of your friends or somebody that has. Uh, you know, the spring game in the rearview mirror. Certainly uh, some other folks got an opportunity in there to enjoy what is uh, just terrific space. Every now and then when you're hanging out in the Dunlap Champions Club, an MC Hammer concert breaks out, too, so you never know what you're going to get. And if you haven't had the opportunity to even be there, you can schedule a private tour. Just call 850-644-1830. Tickets are available. It's a, it's a home schedule that uh, you'll enjoy visiting there, and particularly if we get any of those noon, noon kickoffs, you'll be air-conditioned and ready to go. Well, that is a good point. I just, in general, I didn't want to have a noon kickoff conversation, but I get your point. And the home schedule, of course, includes Miami, NC State, Louisville, Syracuse, uh, whatever it is, 644-1830, the number to call or, or, or go online, seminoles.com uh, slash tickets, and check out the Dunlap Champions Club. And we really like them because they allow us to then put this on the podcast, and it's without commercial interruption. Is that how we say it? This being Front Row Knowles. Take it away. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you once more. It is do or die Wednesday for the Knowles with their matchup out in Omaha. Keith is, he's in, uh, well, not in Omaha, but you're in Orlando. Is that where you are, KJ? That is correct. That is correct. Would you care to divulge the reason? Hopefully it doesn't involve uh, traipsing around uh, amusement parks uh, in this weather. It does not. It involves uh, one of the other hats I wear uh, as a commercial account executive with the Earl Bacon Agency. I'm down here at the annual agent uh, convention, also teaching a little CE uh, while I'm down here. CE, uh, I understand. Continuing education. Oh, I knew what it meant. I just, you know, I wasn't prepared for you to drop such acronyms this early in the show. So let's talk uh, baseball, I guess, as a starting point. We'll get our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt. Next segment, we're going to do a little NBA draft talk a little bit later on because Florida State is poised to have another first-round draft pick in the NBA. Uh, that draft is uh, tomorrow night. But Omaha is where everybody's uh, focused and, and fixated. So, Keith, I, I you know, when you lose 2 nothing and you can't get many hits, it's easy to go back and say, well, they should have pinch hit this guy. They should have done this or that. And it feels hollow in some respects to just say, tip your cap to the other pitcher. But I really feel like that guy was so good, you just got to tip your cap to the other pitcher the other night. I think that is very, very true. And if you listen to the uh, interview uh, with Michigan's coach uh, after Florida State had gone through the lineup one time facing that left-hander, he even commented that it appeared that FSU was changing their philosophy a little bit second time through the lineup because uh, this kid was throwing strikes, and Florida State, instead of being patient, it appeared – and looked like they were going after first pitch because they knew it was going to be a fastball and it was going to be a, uh, over the plate. And as a result, his pitch count stayed way down, and he was able to complete the ball game. Uh, I think FSU maybe got a little over-aggressive. We've talked about the fact that, particularly in the Georgia uh, regional, that uh, you know FSU was much more aggressive than we had seen them in the past at the plate. I think maybe they got a little overly aggressive uh, last time out. Maybe need to dial that back just a little bit. I think it's easy to make those characterizations, 
you know, Martin's coached for 40 years, and so we see one game against Georgia where they did swing earlier. But nobody's had the conversation to, to say why. I mean, the book on that pitcher for Georgia may have been that 98% of the time he's fastball for a strike on his first pitch. And we don't know what the book was on Michigan's pitcher the other night. I just I, we, I feel like we jumped to a lot of conclusions on this situation, and it's always easy to say if the result was three hits to say, well, they should have been more this or more that because clearly what they, they tried didn't work. And the other thing is FSU was squaring up the ball quite a bit, but they were some long flyouts and some balls hit right at Michigan defenders. So there was no, there was none of that baseball luck that you have to have uh, with a ball falling in that you that you tag real hard. Well, and that to me is really more where I landed because it wasn't just that FSU didn't find holes. Michigan found the holes for everything that came off the bat, and they struck out seventeen times. But if they weren't striking out, it was a ball that uh, you know went right up the middle or just out of the reach of the second baseman or the shortstop. And Florida State did the opposite. They hit some balls hard, and credit Michigan, they made some great plays. What's that old expression, hit, hit them where they ain't? Yeah, well, it just felt like a that's baseball game, not a everything, every decision was wrong. That said, I'll I'll go two places that I would say maybe you could have made a change. One of them's related to CJ, and I thought what happened with Van Eyck is that he didn't have command of his breaking ball, which took one pitch out of the equation when it was a must pitch. And so Michigan knew he was going fastball or change uh, and did a good job of being able to foul off several pitches and drive the, the pitch count up. I did think, though, and I know they were trying to get him through the fifth inning, you could have gone to the pen one batter earlier and maybe it stays a one nothing game instead of a 2 nothing game. Agree or disagree? Don't disagree. Uh, obviously, as you point out, it's very easy to do that in hindsight. Uh, but, you know, FSU has gotten some remarkable pitching efforts. Uh, we didn't even talk about, you know, Parrish in game one. I mean, that, that was as remarkable a performance as has been turned in in the postseason in quite a while, and that's that's the same kid that came off of two prior starts in which Florida State was victorious, but he certainly didn't look like that. And so he, he comported himself very well, and then you expect Van Eyck to come in, and he's been off the charts the last couple of times out, and he he kind of fell back to normal, as happens in baseball. And, uh, you know, there you sit, one and one. It just looked like he was almost too amped. He was just getting too much break on that breaking ball. And it was, you know, a 58-footer half the time. And they, they just lost some confidence in it. Uh, well, I would agree. So the pitching's been fabulous. And you didn't even mention the bullpen, which has been tremendous and was terrific at LSU and really has been great the whole postseason. So pitching's not where you're going to point the finger when you've played two games in Omaha and you've given up two runs. Uh, well, or or you've played two games in Omaha and you've scored one run. I think that is the glaring. Uh, right, you know, right. Which is so what, that's what, what's in the room. That's the other side of the coin, and that goes to the fact that Florida State faced a lefty the other night for the first time in the postseason uh, with a heavily left-handed lineup, and so it does beg the question. Not, I, I'm not on the side that you know, and I know Reese Albert hits. I don't have the situationals in front of me, but 150 points higher against righties than lefties. I'm not saying he's the guy you take out because he's been one of your better players, but I can see making the case that uh, you know Becker or some of the others need to need to sit to get a right-hander some at bats earlier in the game. Even Cooper Swanson, when he got that at bat, I mean he bunted once unsuccessfully and then hit a screamer to short that was caught, but made good contact. So that would be the other thing you could question, I think, from the other night. Well, one other thing I would, and I don't know how much you want to get into quote unquote the kids' heads because I know. The television announcers were talking about the fact that Mike Martin had cautioned 
you know, uh, uh, Tyler and Meat and, and, and whoever else, you know, don't, don't be talking about these kids' approach and their mental part. But the one thing that I do think you have to do in Omaha at TD that you didn't have to do at Rosenblatt is you need to shorten up a little bit. You know, Florida State had a bunch of fly balls right at the warning track that might be out in other stadiums, but they're not going to go out in TD Ameritrade. So maybe you shorten up and try to poke a little more as opposed to, you know, trying to drive the ball out of the ballpark. We'll see what adjustments they make tonight. These are all the hindsight things that, you know, baseball, as we've talked about, it, it's a sport that lends itself to this more than than any other sport. Uh, and so that's the natural reaction when the reality is, and I think you're in this place too, to me, making the tournament, everything since making the tournament on Selection Monday has been gravy for this FSU team. Uh, I heard a lot of people say after the Athens regional, well, I'm not surprised they made it through. Even if that's the case, you had to be surprised the way the way they made it through by just right. blistering Georgia. And nobody thought they were going to win at LSU. And nobody, quite frankly, thought they were going to win the first game. So now, can they win tonight and get into the final four, of which would be remarkable? Because you're talking about a last four in team that if they win tonight is in the final four. For, Along with the other last four in team. In Michigan. Or one of the others. We, we don't need to spend too much time playing it forward, but I would presume that from here, because, and and this is, you know, and we're recording earlier in the day, I don't know how the weather's unfolded in Omaha and if they're staying on track since, you know, they got behind schedule right? and how right. that'll run things for, for FSU. But in theory, if FSU wins, they play again Friday. And I would think in that scenario that you would bring back Parrish, who pitched on Saturday, and that would be who would go Friday night. Would you agree? Uh, you know, again, it would be, you know, a, a conversation you've got to have and make it a collective one, um, you know, and, and measured against pitches thrown and that type of thing. But, yeah, certainly he's got to be at the top of the list for consideration. If nothing else, if you start someone, you know, you, you know that you want him to go one or two or three innings, maybe one time through the lineup, and then bring Parrish in, you know, in a relief capacity, but kind of like your, your secondary starter. But certainly that's got to be in the conversation. No well, question. well, I think those are the two options because C, to, to make it out of the predicament they're in now, C.J. Van Eyck is not going to be a factor. I mean, you're not going to see C.J. again unless they make it to Monday. and Well, you're not going to see C.J. again for more than, say, a batter or an inning unless they make it to Monday and they're in the, in the championship round. I think if you win tonight, you know, Parrish is going to be Friday, Saturday if you keep winning, and the other, the other game is going to be Holstaff whether it's Charlie or Johnny or whoever, and you're going to try right. to piece it. You know, Drohan may start, and you hope you get two innings, and and then you just work it on through, and you get two innings from Velez, and Flowers gets you two innings at the back end, and, and you just handle it like that. Although, as we've seen, Velez can go in and throw you four or five. I mean, that's, that's not out of the question anymore. It, yeah, and these are questions that, it, 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 we, again, let, let's end that conversation now because they got to win tonight first before you worry about that, and... Uh, you know you're playing Michigan. You you, you uh, know more about them having played them the other night. I mean, you know you're playing Michigan if you win today. So then you can analyze uh, what you, what you want to do with the staff. Uh, that said, what's your feel for this evening? I like their chances. Uh, I think this is a club that you know when when you play a, a a poor ball game offensively, you come back out the next game and you probably have a tendency to press a little bit. Well, now that you've played two games if you will, poorly offensively. 
maybe you just turn the hat back around and and relax and and and, and swing a little freer. And I and I hope that's what's going to happen tonight. I, I hope this is a game that they can score six or eight or even ten runs, take some pressure off of the pitching staff, give them a little flexibility there, and uh, you know work your way into a rematch against Michigan. We'll see how it unfolds. Our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, will uh, speak with him momentarily and we'll, we'll deal more specifically with the matchup with Texas Tech and just how the whole Omaha experience has been for the last time around. My sense, Keith, just to finish your thought there or add to it, is not that Florida State has played tight. It's a pitcher's park, so you're not going to have a ton of offense and you're facing good pitchers on top of it. Uh, and the result is a team that, frankly, has not been a good hitting team all year came back a little bit more to uh, regress to the mean, so to speak. Hopefully they can find whatever they had in Athens and and unleash that tonight because they need to get some offense. I I do think it would make everybody just breathe easier uh, if you could get a couple runs on the board. Madison Social uh, is one place you could watch the game tonight, certainly. Uh, Keith, you know what's Friday, by the way, this Friday? This Friday coming up. No, I do not. It's the summer solstice. Do you know what that means? Uh, Longest day of the year, summer starts. Summer starts. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, you actually, you know, so you would have selected all the above in the multiple choice and gotten that right. Uh, but but what it means is that it's a, it's an occasion for them to serve brunch on a Friday at Madison Social Township in Centrale. So uh, if you want to take it, uh, you know, get to the office three hours late, I guess more than that because they don't open until 10, I think. So uh, or just take an extended lunch break. You can make it a brunch break this Friday. You could do that as well. Uh, shout out to uh, Matt, the Twitter guy uh, for Madso, by the way. He uh, he took his son. It was their first trip to Omaha. And uh, maybe we'll have him on in, in future weeks to relay the experience because he did a good job on social media. And uh, as a dad who's taken his son to that park and to that event, it, it really is a good time. It, it's definitely worth doing. Or, or your daughter, either way. But uh, it, it's a good Father's Day weekend and a good baseball event if you're a baseball fan. Perfect. Keith, I guess you don't have any ambitions to go. You'll just skip it. No, 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 no. It's on my bucket list. Okay. It's on my bucket list. All right. I was just but checking. See, the difference between me and you is I'll be taking grandsons or granddaughters. <laughs> uh, understand. Understand. All right. We'll take a break. Come back and get our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, on the horn as Front Row Knowles rolls on. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. I failed to point out, uh, though it was in play, uh, we fired up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline in segment one to have Keith join us from Orlando. And now it's working double time because we've got KJ in Orlando and our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt from Omaha. All the power of technology. Tim, how are you? I'm doing great, Tom. How are you? I am doing well. So before we talk on the field stuff, I'm just curious. You've been to Omaha a handful of times. So you yeah. know you know what the norm is. Has it been different in terms of the way Florida State and Mike Martin have been received out there over the last week since you've been there? Well, I think so. I mean, you know, every time you come here, it uh, it seems like you know the the locals and the neutrals rally around a team, and, and typically it's 
you know, one of the if, if a smaller school or maybe a you know, major made it, uh, or um, you know, some 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 other sort of interesting storyline. Uh, anybody who's not here rooting for you know LSU or Arkansas or one of the schools that brings twenty five thousand people, uh, they you know they find a way to, to root for that school. And then you know, in years past, it, it probably hasn't been Florida State for for one reason or another because you know they have been here a lot. Uh, you know, the, the, the major major school, major conference, and, and, and whatever else. But uh, uh, this year, it's been. I mean, I really think it's that way. I mean, every time you go somewhere or on the street, uh, you know, you, you get a lot of go knolls from people who aren't wearing FSU gear necessarily. You, know, you go out to dinner, and and uh, and you know, somebody at the you know either at the bar or, or the the server will be like, hey, you know, we saw yeah, you know, the ones with the the coach who's retiring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, so from that perspective, it's, it's been kind of cool. It, the people are definitely paying attention, uh, and you, know, you see a lot of people uh, you know, outside the hotel, outside the stadium, uh, you know, waiting for Mike Martin to come out. They want a picture. They want an autograph. Everybody just kind of wants a piece uh, of him right now. And of course, in his typical fashion, he's, he's usually happily usually happy to uh, to give it to him. I can only imagine having sat through several of those press conferences, and I, I hope it doesn't come tonight. But at whatever point Florida State season ends. Uh, hopefully it's next Wednesday night or Tuesday night. When Mike Martin addresses the college baseball media and college baseball world for the final time, uh, you know, for for somebody like you or, or us who are in this, uh, I mean, it's it's must watch stuff. I I just can't imagine how that's going to unfold. Well, I I really can't either, honestly. Uh, you know, I've spent some time thinking about it. I'm with you. I uh, you know hope that the the stay is, is is a little bit longer, and it'd be really cool to uh, to, to at least get to the final and. And see what that's like, but but yeah, you know, you, you kind of think and, and sort of vaguely plan things out in your head. Okay, you know, it's going to let this happen because uh, it's going to happen at some point, and we know the season's going to end right here in Omaha. And how is that going to work out uh, with, with it being the end of his career? And like, um, even just thinking about it from a work perspective, you know, okay, how do you how do you capture that? How do you try to write about it? How do you do that moment justice? Uh, I'm not sure <laughs> I figured it out yet. It feels so big and uh, such a like a huge moment uh, and. Certainly in college athletics, Florida State athletics, uh, Florida State as a whole. Um, I mean, I, I don't know that I can fully anticipate it. It'll, it'll be something for sure, though. Yeah, Speaking no. of which, Tim, uh, will will it continue tonight or does it end tonight? I think you know, it, it depends on. This is obvious. But, you know, the, the offense has to get going. I think it's easy to say it depends on what you get out of Connor Grady. Um, when that's true, but but look, you know, it all comes down to if, if they don't score more than. In, in one run or you know zero runs in the last game, uh, you know, it's probably not going to go their way tonight. But uh, but I don't know. I, I've got a, a pretty good feeling about this one. I just I don't know the way things have gone the last two weeks. Uh, you know I don't know that I'm ready to to, to feel like they're going to go home just yet. Uh, Texas Tech starting pitcher I think is a is you know, a nice player. He has good numbers, but he's also maybe not quite as uh, as formidable as the the two they faced in their first two games out here. So. Uh, I got a feeling the offense is going to get it going just a little bit, and uh, and, and I don't know. I think this this something up with this run. I think it'll keep going. I haven't looked, Tim. Is is Texas Tech throwing a righty or a lefty tonight? He's a righty. Well, so that bodes well in light of the fact that the the lefty didn't bode well the other night. You know, I don't want to sure, t- yeah. I don't want to talk too much about Monday night, but Keith and I got into it in the first segment. Uh, you know, you can play the second guess, and you know there should have been more. Uh, righties in the lineup and you can do all that but at some point if a guy's gonna pitch like that uh and and it just to me it felt like a that's baseball game where florida state hit several balls hard that were either foul or or at michigan and michigan made some good plays 
and Michigan hit some balls not so hard, but they found holes, and it's just that's baseball. No, it was, and you know, I know people kind of, you know, they don't they get tired of hearing that kind of stuff. But it's the truth. I mean, it's not like uh, like Tommy Henry was, was always missing bats, particularly early in the game. I think you know later on, he maybe got a little bit worse early. You know, it worked. I mean, remember Mike Salvatore led off with a double before he was the first extra base hit in Omaha, and at, at that point, you're thinking, okay, this this game's going to be a little bit. Uh, it has to be the case, but uh, but yeah, man. I mean, the way that I see it is the the way that the first two games here uh, went with Arkansas and Michigan. I mean, they were both kind of coin flipped, right? I mean, the other way. Um, so as much as you wish you were two and zero and then had an an opportunity to be two and zero, you know where you're at right now is probably not an, an unfair or undeserved result. Right? Yeah, and the the power of being two and zero. So because of the rain situation there, you got seven teams left in Omaha and six of them are playing today. And then there's Michigan sitting around twiddling its thumbs till Friday. Yeah, which, they're still not at the zoo or something. Yeah, yeah, which, I mean, you'd love for that to be Florida State, but that's not the way it uh, it unfolded. Uh, one thing, you know, I asked you the question about how Martin's been received. Uh, the other night this made its way around social media because there was a, a faux pas with the graphic on the board there at TD Ameritrade that referred to the winningest college baseball coach as Frank Martin as opposed to Mike Martin. Which obviously is a big mistake, but the the anger on my timeline was directly correlated to the current score of the game. Had it been five nothing FSU at that time, I think my social media would have said, "Hey, try to get that right next time." Instead of let's get him in front of the firing squad, which is kind of how that unfolded. Yeah, I think that probably could be the case. I mean, look, man, you know these uh, these games are uh, they're, they're tense, man, and, and uh, you know baseball is this kind of. I mean, all, you know, all the sports are, are fun and intense in their own way, but. Uh, you get to the postseason and, and these types of games, and they're, you know, they're they're one run, two runs. I mean, it's you get people get on edge really, really quickly, and I, you know, I understand that. And that's part of what maybe social media kind of a uh, difficult place to spend the game for sure. Yeah, and I usually don't spend the the, the time there during a game. Uh, I, I've saved it for after the game for the most part. So let's let's play this forward. Keith and I played this game. I know they have to they have to win tonight. Uh, if they do, does, do we see Parrish on Friday night or do we see whole staff and then they save Parrish for Saturday? How do you see that? How do you project that? I think, and I don't know, uh, I think you'll see Parrish on Friday night. Uh, knowing you got to win, if it were the other way around, and if Florida State were the team with three days off, maybe, and knowing you can, you got two games to win one, maybe you do it that way. Um, but with the whole staff, but no one you got to win two, no one. Uh, it'll have been six days. I think you go Parrish uh, and then Ike again on Saturday, and and then figure out the final from there. Because you got to get there, otherwise. Okay, so that's yeah. Matter. I'm in agreement about Parrish. I thought we. I made the comment that we wouldn't see Van Eyck until Monday if they made it there. You think they'd come back from Monday to Saturday on him because that's five days instead of six that yeah. Parrish would get. And he did throw. That's a good. That's a good point. He did throw a lot. Yeah, I don't. Man, I just don't know. I don't know. I. I think I think you would see Van Eyck at some point uh, in that Saturday game if it made sense to you. And maybe you don't start him, but if, if you need him and he can give you something, yeah. uh, maybe you do. Yeah, and I did allow for that. You'd, you'd use him for a batter or an inning. Or, and you know the kids are going to say they're ready to go because they want to move sure. on. So, we'll, well, hopefully we're, we're having that, that conversation. Um, so let me ask you this. When, when we talked and we talked over the course of the season and, and Keith and I commented 
I don't know if it was the first week in June or the last week in May, you know, when is Florida State going to announce a successor? And I posited it would be late June. Uh, and part of the reason for that is you at the at the time you had 64 teams still playing baseball, and if they're considering any of the folks that are out there, you got to let their seasons finish. So if it ends tonight, there, there's four teams left playing college baseball. Do you think we get an announcement as soon as the next couple of days, or does it still take until after the whole World Series is over and we go another week to ten days? I, Mr. I would think it'll still be another week or ten days. I don't think you'll do it until after the College World Series is over. Uh, and not necessarily even because, you know, they're targeting anybody uh, or they're talking with anybody who's still playing. Uh, it's just I think that, I, I don't know, I just, it's just a feeling that sort of like they're going to let it settle. You know what I mean? Like I don't think that they want for for this team in this run to get all the way out here for Mike Martin's career to come to an end. And then when, you know, 24 hours before, before you know, it, we've even really moved, up, moved past it, uh, going ahead and announcing Announcing his successor, the timing of that would feel kind of weird to me. So I think they'll kind of let you know the, the this season sort of settle in, no matter when it ends, before they announce the uh, successor. So I think it'll still be another week or so. Yeah, there's, there's a thought out there. I'm, I'm, it's not gained a lot of traction, but there's a thought out there that the names that were released a week to ten days ago that were made part of the the public record, you know, the the predominant big name on that list, of course, was Mike Martin Jr. But there was always that undercurrent that there were other people that, A, the committee might be talking to that were not officially on the list. And then, of course, David and, and President Thrasher reserved the right to make the decision based on the, the, the list that gets forwarded to them by the committee. Uh, is there? And, and I'm not asking you to comment on names, but does it seem reasonable that there's someone else other than those that have been published that might be a leading candidate that when everything is said and done, either gets hired or was one of the finalists? Uh, I don't know if I'm necessarily a leading candidate, but I, I mean, I would be surprised if there weren't other people who were interested or involved that weren't on that list. Look, and, and the, you know, let's just remove this specific situation from it. We've all been around a lot of coaching searches and coaching hires. I don't know that I've ever seen uh, a coaching hire made where the public knew the list of applicants before the decision was made. That's typically not you know, how it goes. And so... Uh, you know, I, 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 I don't know. I, 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 I still think the thing where he is the, the leader in the clubhouse, uh, particularly after getting out here and spending the week here. Um, but, but, yeah, I would be surprised if, if there weren't other people uh, who at least were, were interested or, or kind of kicking the tires a little bit on it. Uh, whether or not they're actually being considered, uh, I, mean, I, I mean, I really don't know. Uh, but, but, yeah, it's such a, a, you know, a different way of, uh, of approaching things. And, and kind of like I said, unlike seen with coaching searches in the past so um i guess you know i guess we'll see but but yeah i think that that's probably a reasonable uh, reasonable thought tim bigger picture college baseball i've seen the griping i've heard the griping and i have some of it myself related to just how pitcher friendly td ameritrade is so not specific to fsu but to the nature of the fact that every game is four three or three two or two one or one nothing is there any thought or any uh significant dialogue from the key college baseball folks and i guess i'm talking about media aaron fit and kendall rogers that 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 they need to look at moving the fences in or doing something to just add a little bit more to it or are we just all hunky-dory and it's status quo and we're good with it well you know i i, I haven't heard any official type of discussion but it is certainly a topic of discussion uh, you know in the press box anytime you 
somebody hit a ball really hard and you think, okay, well, that, that might have been out of another park. And, and now, of course, you know you, you know the reputation that the park has, and you maybe kind of go in looking for it a little bit too, you know. Um, but to be honest with you, Tom, like, I don't know, you know, moving the fences in, uh, I mean, it, it could get you more home runs. But I think, you know, a, a bigger part of the uh, there's no, not a lot of extra base hit. You know, there's not a lot of balls hit over an outfielder's head because, you know, the way the, the wind is, and you saw it in the Michigan game, I don't know if it shows up on TV, um, is guys will hit balls really hard. Unfortunately, we uh, hit some technical difficulties, had a power outage, and so uh, we lost the interview with Tim there right in the middle of the conversation, so we can't finish that. Uh, do apologize, but we will finish the show. We'll turn our attention to the NBA when we come back. The draft is tomorrow night. Dennis Gates will join us to talk about where he sees Fiondo Cabangeli and perhaps some other Knowles going. Stay with us on Front Row Knowles. <laughs> Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, it's just Tom this segment. You know, KJ, his ego gets in the way sometimes, so I told him to just take a segment off while he's down in Orlando. We'll dial him up next segment. We are going to talk uh, basketball, though. The NBA Finals are in the rearview mirror, but the NBA Draft is dead ahead. That comes up tomorrow night, and Florida State's going to have a presence, obviously, with uh, Kevin Gailey in that draft and moving on up. And we're going to talk now with a gentleman that played a key role in, in bringing Fee to Florida State. And, uh, you know, we've had Stan Jones on several times, but I'm pleased to, to welcome Dennis Gates, assistant coach for Leonard Hamilton, to the program. Coach, how are you? How you doing, Tom? I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, we got to make you a fop friend of the program, like <laughs> like Stan is. So uh, so welcome. Uh, well, thank you. So before we get into you know how you uh, uh, turned over the rock or how you found Fee, I- I'm curious just as somebody who's played a role in his development and his maturity and his basketball IQ and all those things. When you sit here right now and the draft is is 24 hours away, plus or minus. Is is it is it pride that you feel? Is it excitement for the player? I mean, what kind of goes through your mind right now, just related to somebody that you know is going to hear his name called tomorrow night? Well, it's it's an excitement because at the end of the day, what we do at the very beginning when we recognize a, a suitable guy that could help our program, we 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 see where they start off, and we try to with our best hand at forward uh, try to get them to achieve their goals, uh, both athletically and academically. And Fiondu is a kid, uh, you know, who's, you know, sort of done that a little faster than anticipated. But, you know, it's one of those things where if, if he excels, what it does is it means we've have had a successful season. And, you know, it's not just a one-man band. It's, it's the support of teammates as well. They play a key part in the development of their peers. And, you know, it's all hands on deck. And we're very, very excited about he, uh, Terrence Mann, and Chris Kumaje. We'll get to Terrence and, and Kristen a little bit. Do you have a feel? I mean, I've looked at the mock drafts, but what's your thought in terms of where he might go 
pick-wise, approximate range, and or team if you have that feel. And I know that everybody's playing poker right now and bluffing and whatnot, so I'm not sure how much you know than, than what we know just consuming the mock drafts that are out there. Hey, hey, it is a game of poker, as every NBA organization never wants the real truth to get out. So uh, it's a lot of misdirection that goes on. But I anticipate Fiondu being anywhere from late lottery, uh, from, you know, 15 to 25. Um I, I truly think it'll go in the first half of the lottery um, or the first half of, of those numbers. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's one of those things. It, it all depends on who gets picked beforehand or if there are actual trades that happen. Right, and that could change the dynamic. And that but, could change the entire dynamic. Yeah. Well, one thing that's not in question, he really has – it seems like he's moved up. And, uh, you know, when he first declared – and and I don't know that it would have caught you or the staff off guard because you've seen how he's progressed on the court. As fans, and I'll I'll speak as a fan, I broadcast FSU games, we get selfish and say, oh, no, you got to come back for another year. But the reality is when you look at his trajectory and now as he's gone through the pre-draft process, right. if you're going to be a first-round pick, that's the decision you need to make. Well, well I'll tell you this. The T- Tallahassee community has actually helped you know, not only Fiondu, but our lost student-athletes, but specifically Fiondu was given opportunities to have community service, whether it's speaking engagements in front of classes, students, schools, that actually helped him in the interviewing process with different teams. And believe it or not, that is why his stock has risen, because these organizations and GMs have actually sat one-on-one, had dinner, and seen how articulate this young man is and he's gotten practice no different than he's gotten practice on the basketball court he's gotten practice speaking and talking to people and I think our community our alumni base have definitely helped out in that so I encourage them to continue to give us opportunities of community service and continue to engage our guys yeah that's part of it you know I mean frankly that's how you market yourself and you know are you going to be engaging or can you handle the interview uh, yep. and, and, and he certainly has that personality. We've had him on this show, too. One more question related to, to him now, and then we'll go back uh-huh. to the beginning with him. How do you think he projects long-term? You know, to, to what, what is his long-term role uh, in the NBA? Well, as a rebounder, um, you have a, a shelf life of 10, 10 years if you can rebound at a high level in the NBA. Now you combine the shooting ability and the shot-blocking ability I truly believe his shelf life in the NBA was going to be 10-plus years. Uh, he has to get with the right program that's going to continue the development process and allow him to you know, grow like he grew here at Florida State. And once he latches on to a coaching staff, the, the, the rest will be history, and you will see an unbelievable ambassador for Florida State University and Tallahassee community. So now let's turn back the clock to when you saw him for the first time because he had uh, he played high school ball in Canada and if I'm not mistaken yeah. had no offers out of high school. That is correct. Then he went to to prep school, which I guess is where you come in. Uh, so I'll let you fill in the blanks, but I, I'm curious <laughs> if when you saw him for the first time you thought, well, that guy has a chance to help us or that guy's a 10-plus years in the league type player. Right, right. <laughs> so the art of um, you know evaluating – on a on a college uh, app, uh, environment is more so based off where you project a kid to be after they've had exposure on a college campus, after they've had uh, experience in the weight room and their body has changed and they've grown or peaked out 
when it comes to their uh, physical growth. And, um, you know, then you look at how much better you can coach their, obviously, minds, their bodies, their spirits, and get them better between the ears, get them better in skill development. And at that point, the number one thing that stands out with Fiondu is his level of competition that I saw. Uh, and I saw a young man not backing down, although he may not have been physically gifted to do certain things. He did not back down from competition. He always made an effort or an extra effort to do certain things on the court. And that's what kind of drew me to him originally. And this was when he was at Don Bosco Prep, or you saw him in an AAU tournament? You yeah, it was it was at Don Bosco, uh, or Bosco Institute is the name of it now, Bosco Institute. And Fiondu's team was playing against the inner city junior college team in a part of Chicago that you just don't stop and get gas at. And it's one of those environments, Inglewood community, where it's been stricken with a lot of poverty and a lot of gang violence. But the young men uh, that are having the opportunity to play at this junior junior college is, you know, it, it probably resembles that of the community. So I saw a kid who was not from an inner city environment compete at the highest level that he possibly could. And it was at a tournament. So I was able to see him for two days straight. And I just, at that point, fell in love with his, his demeanor and his disposition. Uh, at that point, he was six six. I didn't know if he would grow, if he would grow or not. I had no clue about all this stuff, but I knew that his parents were standing that six six, and his mom was six four, and his uncle Dikembe happened to be seven foot one. And for me, it's all about projections. We had time for him to develop because we had Phil Kofer coming from injury. We had Jonathan Isaac, so I thought he would be a great addition to our team. And not only that. The kid exceeded any and everything that anyone would ever think of him to be. I thought he would be a great ACC player um, at the end of his career, not this early. And I think he came to campus with a focus that was unknown, and he, he exceeded all expectations, and he fulfilled and will be fulfilling his dream tomorrow night uh, by getting drafted. We're talking to Florida State basketball assistant coach Dennis Gates, who uh, was the, the first one to uh, from Florida State, certainly, to see Fiondu Cabangali, but also the first from a Power Five to, to offer him a scholarship. Yeah. So I'm curious, because you live in the recruiting world, so uh, uh -huh. I guess he had some smaller offers, but you and Florida State offer, and then all of a sudden, now the Power Five offers start coming in the next day. So is that just other staffs that needed affirmation from somebody or were afraid to be the first one? How does that dynamic play out? That Yeah, it's the, it's the affirmation. You know what, Tom? It's definitely the affirmation because you have scouting reports and sometimes coaches use that as a compass for recruiting and validation that they're recruiting the right kids. Well, there's a lot of kids in the country that plays basketball. I'll tell you that. And the hardest thing to do is evaluate but those that are capable and successful of evaluating, they find kids like Fiondu and develop them through their system. Um, it's, it's an interesting thing because most of the coaches laughed at me and asked questions like, are you sure you're offering him? Did you just offer They couldn't believe it. So, um, you know, I just stayed the course, and I don't let many outside people influence what I see and what I feel in my gut about a kid. Because like I said, no different than Fiondu is having conversations with these GMs and he's, and they, and he's impressed them. 
Well, I had conversations with him, and he impressed me. He had a carrying capacity to get better, and it's just seen in his personality, it's seen in his demeanor and disposition. Boy, I could have a much longer conversation with you, but now I'm curious. So there's <laughs> there's limited numbers of scholarships, and I don't recall yeah. the specifics the year that uh, you know Fee was coming in, how many you had to play yeah. with. But does that require you to – to check in with Coach Ham or the rest of the staff and say, hey, I'm going to do this? Or do you have just carte blanche? I mean, how does that work when you – because I know you guys, specific or particularly in July, you know, you guys are all over the country and probably the world in gyms yeah. for 30 of the 31 days. But when it comes time to pull the trigger, is that just, no, yeah. I can do this, or i got to call well, and get permission? Well, I work for a boss that has given us assistance, the autonomy to self-govern and make ourselves and, – and make decisions ourselves. He wants us to all be head coaches from coach Jones to coach young to myself. So, uh, he gives us the authority to do so as long as, you know, we proceed with caution and we're, we're, we're doing that night in and night out, uh, on a recruit trail and, and we're doing a good job at it. I just think that, you know, for us, you know, in the ACC, it has to be done, but I'll tell you what, we had six kids come in that class. I think it was C.J. Walker, Trent Forrest. It was Jonathan Isaac. It was Brian Angola Rodas. It was P.J. Savoy. And then Fiondu Cabangeli. So we had a group of guys that we knew would help us. And you look at those guys' career and you see what they have done during their tenure here. Uh, and you see how much they have helped us. And we just knew Fiondu fit the culture of a Florida State guy. He fit the hard work and the work ethic that Coach Hamilton loves. And, you know, we redshirted him that, that year. And i tell you what, he was the best player on each team from Clemson's Jerron Blossom game to uh, Jason Tatum at Duke. I think he did a great job of mimicking those guys, and it gave him confidence to get better and belong on this level. Fascinating background on Fiondu Cabangeli and who blossomed at Florida State, obviously. All right, we're talking with Dennis Gates, and I, uh-huh. I, I, I'll, I'll stop with the questions about fee and move <laughs> forward. You you mentioned Terrence Mann, so yeah. I, I imagine, you know, Mann to me is a guy that does lots of things. We saw it for four right. years that aren't necessarily reflected in the box score, but has an impact on the game. And on top of that, you know, he's got basketball IQ. His mom's a coach. He's he's well-spoken. Right. So I imagine he's made a good impression through this process, too. But what is yeah. the reality of where Terrence Mann fits, you know, post-college? Well, I, I think – and, and I'll, let me start by this statement, and I'll make a bold statement, Tom. I want you to hear this statement. Hear it clear, okay? You take away Dwayne Bacon, I still think we win games. You take away uh, Malik Beasley, I still think we win games. You take away Jonathan Isaac, we still win games, Right? You take away Fiondo, we still win some games. During the last four years, if you take away Terrence Mann, there's no successful basketball program at Florida State. I will honestly tell you that. Terrence Mann has impacted this place, impacted his teammates, impacted his coaching staff uh, beyond measures. And I think he's a kid that uh, whose jersey's going to hang in the rafters one day because what he has done here – and what he means to us has been, you know, unbelievable. I think teams see that same value in the NBA. They see his connectivity. They see his creativity. They see his individual talent. They see his unselfishness. They see his rebound. They see his defend defensiveness. Uh, 
And I think he's impacted that at the Port Smith camp. He did that at the Chicago Combine. He did it at the G League Combine. That's why he got the special invite to the main Combine. He's done that in individual workouts for the teams. And I think his value is one of those guys that stats don't show how important he is to the team. And, you know, someone loves him, and they will draft him, and he will be in the NBA for a long time. I truly believe that. Strong words of uh, of praise there for, for Terrence Mann. What what about, uh, you know, Chris Kumaje? I know Kofor had a lot of injury issues, not, yeah. to, not to mention the personal, uh, the loss yeah. of his dad there at the end of the yeah. season. Well, Chris Kumaje is, is a kid, I will tell you, you can't teach his height, you can't teach his quickness. And, you know, at this point, the NBA has a position for him because he's a shot-blocking center who can pick and roll and, he doesn't need the ball to score as much as uh, some other players. He's not a just sit in the block and clog the lane. The NBA has moved toward just four out and ball screen offense, and I think that replicates the offense that we have run here and Coach Hamilton has installed. So, um, you know, he's going to have a chance to get his name called, but I truly think in the second round someone will take a chance on Chris Kumaje. Uh, Phil Colfer, on the other hand, you know, he has some unfortunate injuries, and I think he'll he'll get into the NBA a hard way. He'll probably have to go to the G League. He may not get drafted, but he will at some point put on the NBA jersey. So you think, well, that's uh, – so across the board, you think you might hear three Florida State names tomorrow. It's a, it's a chance. It's a chance. And, you know, Chris has gotten a lot of attention. Um, you know, when your team wins, the individuals win. And I think Chris's success – of being one of the all-time winningest classes in Florida State history has allowed NBA teams to come in and see him as a freshman, see his development as a sophomore, and see his development as a junior, and see where he is now. And the most important part of that, they see him improved uh, compared to where he came from in high school and his best basketball is ahead of him. Dennis Gates, I'll let you go on this, uh, <laughs> and thank you for the insight. It's really hey, good, no problem, pers- no good, no good perspective. Uh, I know the Leonard Hamilton basketball camps are going on this week and next. Uh-huh. Uh, when we get to, and we're in the first, I guess, six-week summer session, not the second, yep. but just yep. kind of big-picture environment. Are, are all the guys both that have been on the team and newcomers uh, for next year already on campus, or when do they well, arrive, we, and what can you do as a coaching staff with them and, and not do with them over the summer, I guess? Well, we started our individual workouts with the first core of guys, and you know, I think our fans, our community, our community could expect – great things from our from our team uh you know I, I expect them to continue to fill the tuck center the way that they have because it's been electrifying it's very it, it has been a true call to our season and the success behind our guys and and without that support you know i don't think we would be as successful as we we have been but you know our guys are working hard they're working camp uh, i encourage you guys to come sign up for uh the leonard hamilton basketball camp as you could interact or your young man can interact with our entire team because they are all here, uh, all our newcomers. And we're very excited because they do, uh, you know, fit the, fit the fabric of our uh, culture and, and the best is yet to come, as you know. Dennis, thank you so much for your time. Uh, you know, my son's only eight, so uh, we need we need to get him in there. And I don't think he projects to be seven foot, though, based on my height. So he's going to need well, to work well, on the ball okay. handling. Well, it's okay, Tom. He'll have a good time at camp. <laughs> All right, Dennis Gates, assistant coach. Tell Stan Leonard and uh, see why we said hello.
Will do. Will do. I appreciate you having me on. All right. Go Knowles. Go Knowles. Enjoy the draft tomorrow night. We'll take a break. Come back uh, with some more thoughts here on uh, Front Row Knowles. I was flying. Yeah, running down a dream. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom Block going to wrap things up for you on this Wednesday. Uh, again, thanks to Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. We appreciate uh, all their support. KJ has... Been on the road. He's in Orlando. Tim's in Omaha. And uh, I guess Coach Gates was over at the BTC. So we were all over the place today on Front Row Knowles. But uh, just a couple of closing thoughts. First, in terms of that basketball conversation, it it, it, uh, feels to me almost uh, a little optimistic to think that Florida State might get three guys drafted tomorrow night. But when you look at the mock drafts, you know, most have uh, Fee in the first round and, and Terrence Mann in the second round. And there is some some talk out there about Kamaji being an interesting fit. Stan Jones has also said, you know, don't be surprised if you see him get drafted. If if you did see three Knowles drafted, it would be just the third time in uh, or the second time in school history. The other time was 1981. So uh, been several years that they've had two drafted, including uh, 2017 with Bacon and Isaac. So we'll see how it goes. In terms of first-round picks, Fee is going to be the uh, – uh, you know, the latest first-round pick, I guess, will be the 13th in school history and the 6th under Leonard Hamilton. So things continuing to trend well on the basketball court. As for baseball tonight, after the conversation with Tim, I looked up a little bit of the numbers on uh, Bryce Bond and the Texas Tech starter tonight, and he leads the, the Red Raider team in walks issued, 41 walks in 59 innings, which, uh, again, is the most on that team's uh, staff. And he had one game this year with six walks in a contest. And, and basically his average stint is about five innings and 100 pitches. So Florida State is going to get into the pen tonight for Texas Tech. And if he can't find the strike zone, that's going to bode well for Florida State uh, in this game. Well, let's hope it plays out this way. FSU, long uh, proponents of working the count and the on-base percentage and all that. You know the drill. Hopefully that works out in FSU's favor tonight uh, in this game against Texas Tech. And uh, if so... They'll survive, advance, and we'll worry about Michigan on Friday. Tall task ahead, but all you can do is play tonight's game. So for Tim, for Keith, for Coach Gates, thanks as always for tuning in. Tom Block, we do this every Wednesday, 6 o'clock right here, and we'll talk to you next week on Front Row Knowles. We don't need no education. We don't need no thought control.